Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It seems that over the past few weeks we have been getting a healthy dose of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans. For three weeks in a row and for four out of the last five weeks, our epistle lessons have come from that epistle, especially that of Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. Next week we'll move on to hearing several weeks from 1 Corinthians, but today we have Romans chapter 8. And you've heard me say before that Romans chapter 8 is perhaps one of my favorite chapters out of all the scriptures. In particular, that latter part of the chapter wherein St. Paul asks, If God be for us, who can be against us? Or what shall separate us from the love of God? And after listing several temporal things that we often think would or could separate us from him, things like nakedness or peril or sword or being in need, Paul goes on to say that even these things cannot separate us from the love of God. It's also from this chapter that we hear the oft-quoted phrase, all things work together for the good of those that love God. And then he ends with the great triumphal statement, which I think every Christian ought to know. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And I use this passage quite often when visiting the sick. I often turn to it when I'm stressed out or when I'm facing some sort of struggle or trial. Ultimately, we could say that the eighth chapter of Romans really focuses on the bond that we have with God in Jesus Christ. Last week, we spent our time in chapter six, and I talked about the new life that we have in Christ. And Paul's directive to us in that chapter was, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, but instead use your members as instruments of righteousness unto holiness. And now we move to chapter eight. And here we progress from that idea of a new life, of a new man, to the relationship and the bond that we have in that new life. Chapter 8 has a a heavy focus on the great bond that we have with God and how that is our security, our comfort, and our assurance as we move about in this life and as we face different things. Those who were here for Alan's funeral yesterday heard Harry read portions of this chapter. And you heard me speak a little on the aspect of being a child of God and God's calling of us into his family, particularly and most especially within the context of his church. Well, this all begins for us with what we heard read as a part of our epistle lesson. And if you would, let me reread verses 14 through 17 of Romans chapter 8 for you. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, 
by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, these words truly bring the Christian life away from that which may sort of seem to be theoretical and detached to something that's real life and concrete. And let me explain what I mean by that. In the Western way of approaching theology, we think in terms of legal aspects. Much of our theology is defined in the imagery and the ways of law. As an example, we consider the forensic aspects of justification. Now, don't let words like that make your mind wander off. If I remember correctly, I think we talked a little bit about this on the last week of Sunday school a couple of months ago. And what this means is a way of understanding the work of Jesus as a means of paying a penalty or punishment for breaking a law. God said to our original parents, Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you do, you shall surely die. Well, we all know what happened. Man ate, man sinned. And therefore, the penalty of death was due. And there was no getting around that. God said it, it needed to be done. And every time man sins, he's breaking that law of God, and therefore a penalty and a punishment is due. As Paul said last week in our considerations, the wages of sin is death. Yet thankfully, God provided the only sacrifice in the perfect life of Christ. And it was only by his death that our sin could be atoned. So the understanding in this perspective is that God, as a judge, instead of throwing the book at us and locking us up and sentencing us to death, looks rather upon the sacrifice of Christ who bore the punishment that we rightly deserve. And many have described it in that very way, as Jesus standing in a courtroom as our defense attorney and saying to the great judge, yes, Jason is guilty. But I have paid the penalty for him. Let him go free. And that is what is known in theological terms as justification. And also penal substitutionary atonement, if you want the real words for it. Christ satisfied the legal penalty of our sin upon the cross. He died that we might live. And we're justified in him. And by the way I described it, you can see why it's deemed to be considered forensic. Or described and understood in legal terms. But yet perhaps greater even than that of the forensic justification is that further and deeper understanding which St. Paul presents to us today. It's not that we're simply set free from a penalty, but rather that we are actually embraced by God. That we are, as St. Paul says, adopted as the sons of God. And that we are made heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Some of you may have heard of J.I. Packer. He's a well-known Anglican author and scholar who's contributed to the work within the Anglican Church of North America, to which we belong. And if you use the ESV or the English Standard Version of the Bible, he served as a general editor for that. Anyways, J.I. Packer wrote this in his famous book, Knowing God. To those who are Christ's, 
The holy God is the living Father. They belong to his family. They may approach him without fear and always be sure of his fatherly concern and care. This is the heart of the New Testament message. And Packer then continues, The free gift of acquittal and peace won for us at the cost of Calvary is wonderful enough. But justification does not of itself imply any intimate or deep relationship with God the judge. In idea, at any rate, you could have the reality of justification without any close fellowship with God resulting. But contrast this now, he says, with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God, the Father, is a greater thing. End quote. And again, those who were here yesterday heard me talk a little bit about that family aspect in the homily that I gave. To be a child is to have a special relationship. To be a child is to have special privileges. To be a child is to have special blessings. Just as my children have certain privileges within my family that your children don't enjoy with me, and just as my children have a special relationship with me, which no other child can experience unless I bring them into my family, so we, as the adopted children of our Heavenly Father, have a special relationship and enjoy special privileges and blessings. As God's children, we have a hope which others do not have. As God's children, we have an inheritance which others do not have. As God's children, we have a power which others do not have. As God's children, we have a family which others do not experience. As God's children, we have a stability which others do not have. As God's children, we have an assurance which others do not have. And this is St. Paul's point of saying in our epistle lesson that we can come unto God saying, Abba, Father. That is not the approach one takes with a great and terrible judge. It's not the approach that one takes with a person of great stature. It's not the approach one takes with one who is to be feared. It's not the approach of a slave to a master. That is the most intimate way of approaching God. It is the approach that only a son can take with his father. It is the very way that Jesus approaches his father in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prays. And friends, Paul says that we approach God the same way. Abba, Father. We're even taught by our Savior. When you pray, say, Our Father. Hence, we can all repeat with St. Paul his later words that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we are the sons of God. And if sons, then we're heirs. And that's the thought that I leave us with this morning. God has not only saved you from sin and death, but God has embraced you as his child. There's a special bond forged with you in Christ, in so much that you are special to God. And as I reflect on this, I'm reminded of the beloved Saint, or disciple St. John. He wrote in his first epistle these words, with which I close. Behold what manner of love 
the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.